My kids love their snacks just like everyone else, but I'm really picky about what they eat. And if it's going to be something in a package, I want it to be healthy, high quality, and something that's not going to break the bank. I recently discovered Thrive Market and they check all the boxes. My kids are loving the seaweed snacks, cinnamon applesauce, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. What I love most about Thrive Market is that everything is organic and non-GMO, and it's more affordable than what you'll find in the stores. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low-income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. We live in a 24-7 food culture. Virtually everywhere we go, whether it's the bookstore or the bank, there's food and treats at every turn. And as parents, we pack snacks for the car, serve them after sports, and give them to our kids to keep them occupied or to reward them for a job well done. In a lot of ways, we're not letting kids get hungry. And hunger, I always say hunger is the best sauce. That's Dr. Namali Fernando, a board-certified pediatrician and the founder of the Dr. Yum Project, a nonprofit that helps families and communities overcome the barriers to eating well. She's also the co-author of two books, Raising a Healthy, Happy Eater and Dr. Yum's Preschool Food Adventure. We'll talk about how our food culture has contributed to picky eating and how to raise healthy eaters in spite of it. There's a ton of easy, real-life strategies in this episode that you can start using today, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Dr. Fernando as much as I did. Well, Dr. Fernando, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. It is so great to have you here. Oh, it's so fun being here. Thanks for having me. Great. So let's dive right in. So food, it's everywhere we go, right? It's at school, school fundraisers, sports, activities, meetings, playdates, church, gas stations, convenience stores, and other non-food related stores like banks and dry cleaners. I mean, it is everywhere. And There's also junk food marketing to kids on YouTube, on their online learning platforms, which we're beginning to see now um, through research that recently came out in December, as well as gaming, social media, and celebrity endorsements, and basically at every turn. And so, um, you know, in my own life, I've experienced this even at the doctor's office. I don't know if you do this in your practice, but um, pre-COVID, my kids would go to their well visits and they'd receive a pretzel after a doctor's appointment, <laughs> much to my chagrin. Um, and even when my daughter had occupational therapy, she would receive a piece of candy for a job well done. And so in her book, Kid Food, Bettina Elias Siegel estimates the kids are getting a whopping 75 to 100 grams of sugar a day. And that's just from treats alone. That's not what we're serving our kids at home. And so what does research tell us about this 24-7 food environment that we're raising kids in and chronic diseases like childhood obesity, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and fatty liver disease? Well, we don't need research to tell us that that amount of sugar every day is bad for us. But 
If you look at the trends, you can see how diet-related illness across the board, some of these illnesses, which used to be exclusively in adults, in the adult population, have really permeated the pediatric population. So things like type 2 diabetes, which was virtually, you know, it was very uncommon, um, is becoming more normal. And um, I trained as a pediatrician to, you know, shepherd kids through the normal bumps and bruises of child development. And I'm finding myself in some instances feeling like an internal medicine physician uh, managing these diseases that I didn't, I never thought I would have to. So um, it's, it is pervasive. It's a problem and you're right. It is at every turn. Um, One of the things that I've done in my practice, I have a practice here in Fredericksburg, Virginia which I um, I share our building with the Dr. Yum Project, which is a nonprofit that I helped co-found back in 2013. Um, we help families overcome barriers to eating well. So we have this great space. Um, half of the space is my practice, and then the other half is a teaching kitchen. And the teaching kitchen is where we have a lot of programming for families in the community. Um, it's a place where I can take my patients and show them, you know, how do you make a Brussels sprout tastes really good. You know, it's a full working kitchen. And um, and we are surrounded, our whole space is surrounded by an edible garden. So my patients know when they come in, let's say for their kindergarten physical, they're not going to get a tomato, but they will get a goodie bag. And or they're not going to get a lollipop, rather they will get tomatoes. They're going to grab uh-huh. that goodie bag and fill it with strawberries. We have this little strawberry patch on one side. We've got tomatoes. We've got peppers. And I've heard families tell me, you know, my child learned to love peppers just for from coming here to your office. Um, and every time we stop by, we get a pepper. So um, we can turn this thing on its head if we just think about how we expose kids to food, um, how we can make healthy foods more fun, more accessible. Um, kids do learn to love these foods. It just hasn't really been programmed into our culture that way. Um, but we can, we can reprogram. It's easy. We're, we're in a great example of this here. The kids look forward to getting their cherry tomatoes when they come to my office. That's wonderful. So do you think that this 24-7 food environment that we live in is one of the main causes of chronic disease among the pediatric population? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started my work in food because I was seeing a lot of obesity, Um, particularly at the time we started the Dr. Yum Project, Virginia, where we practice and we have our nonprofit work, we had the highest rate of obesity in the country when it came to children on the WIC program, um, preschool age children on the WIC program. Um, And so, yes, it is, it's a huge problem. But what I also saw was that there were lots of kids who were relatively normal on the BMI curve. So they were not obese. Maybe they were in the normal range, or maybe they were actually smaller. And those kids too tended to have a lot of symptomatology that was related to their their diet. So they may be constipated. I see a lot of that. Um, they may have you know chronic abdominal pain. They may have um, attention issues, learning issues, because of um, in part because of the diet that they were eating. So it made sense that 
working on the diet of the patients in my practice and my community would have huge benefits, not just on obesity, but all these other symptoms and conditions that we were seeing that were diet related and really related to this kid food culture that we see a lot. Um, thinking that kids really can't eat real nutritious whole foods and that we have to cater to their preferences by concocting, you know, more palatable, less nutritious options. Um, And so what I really set out to do in my early work was to just put up a website. I put up a website called dryum.org and I posted recipes, family recipes from my own kitchen. And my, my children were really small at the time. And so we would post recipes and sometimes on social media, I post pictures of them eating real food. And it made a difference, I think, for families to see that, yeah, we don't have to buy the chicken nuggets. We can, you know, make a meal that all of us can enjoy together. It doesn't have to be that they're eating this food and we're eating our food. Um, And when you provide that model, I think it's easier to see that it is attainable. Absolutely. It's all about setting up that healthy food environment at home. And I know with my own kids, that was really key from the beginning. And that's why they're healthy eaters now, because we were just consistent and that's just how our family does things. Um, and so that's really important to, to model those healthy eating habits. And kids will, with repeated exposure and consistency, they, they will accept healthy food. So there was a recent study that showed, and this is really interesting to me because um, I'm in the thick of this with um, kids learning from home. They're not full-time at home, but they were for quite a while um, and just working from home. And and we're all just kind of struggling right now with COVID. Uh, But there was a recent study that showed that parents during the pandemic admit to giving their kids food rewards for poor behavior. So we're just throwing (laughs) food at our kids because we can't deal, right? Um, And it's hard, right? Because you just, you're just trying to get through the day. Um, but why would you say that this is a bad habit and what does it actually teach kids? Well, I think food rewards in general, um, are not the best idea because what we tell our children, let's say, you know, I hear this a lot. Well, if you eat a bite of this broccoli, you get a treat. And, you know, the message that kind of food reward structure sets up is that if you eat this bad food, then you can get this good food. Right. And that's not the message we want to give our kids. We want all food to be part of our experience. And maybe some of the foods that we enjoy as traditional desserts aren't necessarily everyday foods, but we can enjoy those foods alongside with, you know, a bigger proportion of those healthy foods that actually make our body work and grow. And so, you know, I, I really discourage families from using food rewards. I see it all the time though. And I do see a lot of what you mentioned, kind of that throwing snack food at kids, especially toddlers, you know, you know, they just ate breakfast. They're in the office, they're getting restless and, and mom and dad have the bag of goldfish and they're just, you know, handing it out like, please, please. And I, I totally get it. But at the same time, we are you know, reinforcing bad habits. And and in a lot of ways, we're not letting kids get hungry. Yeah. Right. And hunger, I always say hunger is the best sauce. Um, when a kid is really just over snacking in between meals, we don't allow hunger to develop. And so when the family has made this beautiful, nutritious meal, but their belly is full of fish shaped crackers, 
they're not going to want to eat that broccoli and brown rice and chicken breast, right? Um, they're done. They're and especially in toddler years, toddlers grow very slowly, so they don't have a big appetite to begin with. So you need to let a little bit of hunger develop and not rely on that kind of food pacifier of snack foods all the time. Yeah, and I think that teaching kids this, giving them the food rewards as well, can really kind of carry into adulthood. I mean, there's so many of us, right, mm-hmm. who after a hard meeting or um, even a hard workout or a stressful day, you know, dive into the pantry because we deserve it or we need to cope with stress. And right. I think that's a big driver, right, of of obesity among adults today, would yes. you say? Absolutely. I think it's just ingrained in us from a young age and it becomes our pattern. Um, and the path of least resistance is to grab that, you know, highly palatable food reward. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because early on kids really respond better to non-food rewards. You know, if you're in the classroom and a kid, you know, a classroom's done really well, I tell teachers reward them with a dance party, you know, yeah. Not the Skittles. They will enjoy that so much more um, than that sweet treat. Um, And it'll mean more to them. Or send a lovely note home to the family saying, you know, so-and-so did great today. That is so much more meaningful and long-lasting and so much better for the child's self-esteem than to have that, you know, quick reward. Yeah. Um, Food reward, rather. So, yeah, I really love the idea of finding more um, non-food rewards to set kids up for success. Yeah, that's great. So there's been a shift over the years, I'd say, since when we were kids um, that, and now there's this current belief that kids really need snacks everywhere they go. Like you said, (laughs) with the, with the patient in the waiting room and they need them several times a day. And so also with COVID now that surveys are showing that we're all snacking a lot more. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you think, why do you think this, you know, 24 seven snacking habit that parents have fallen into happen? And is this grounded in science? The kids really need to eat all day, need to snack all day? How many snacks a day do they need? No, I think this, um, I think this, 24-7 kind of snacking culture has contributed to picky eating Um, because, like I mentioned, they're not going to be as hungry to try those more nutritious foods that they need to practice more, you know? Yeah. Um, So, and food takes practice. We know that when children try new foods, the enzymes in their mouth, those uh, proteins that they secrete to help digest food, those change. And so food does, the taste of food changes and becomes better. So we need kids to practice. And when they are filling their bellies full of those easy palatable foods, they're not getting a chance to practice. So um, I have a a wonderful dear friend, Melanie Potok, Mm -hmm. who is a speech language pathologist in Colorado. And she and I wrote a book together called Raising a Healthy, Happy Eater. And in that, we talk about a feeding schedule. And, um, and this goes back to the idea of letting hunger develop. So we set, uh, we set the schedule that's good, you know, particularly for young children, toddlers, preschoolers, where kids have time to eat and we call those eating times. And then we have growing times. And in growing times, we give our body a break from eating and we work on other developmental skills, right? So we need to be able to pause our eating because Feeding is a developmental process. It's a very important developmental process, but there are other things we need to be learning and and, 
um, figuring out too as children. Um, and it's also better for our oral health to be able to give our, our mouth a break, let um, the pH in our mouth rise a bit so that we aren't constantly exposing our teeth to the acidic environment that f- eating food presents. Um, so less tooth decay when we can take a breath a break from eating. Um, and it's just a good idea too to get those breaks to let that hunger develop. So when we get to the dinner table or the lunch table, we're ready to eat again. And so we have kind of a schedule where there is a mid-morning and a late afternoon snack. But most importantly, between these meals and snacks, we let kids take a break for one or two hours where they're not eating. And you know, kids, no one likes to hear that their kids are hungry. And sometimes when they say they're hungry, really just means they're bored, Mm -hmm. right? They're bored of what's going on and they want to do something like eat something delicious. Um, And so if if we can say to ourselves, it's okay for kids to be a little bit hungry, that's actually going to help them at the next meal. And we can say to them, I know you're hungry, but you know, we're, we're in a growing time now and we're, let's finish this art project that we're doing on, you know, the meal is almost going to be here and we distract kids and get them through that moment, that little uncomfortable moment. Um, it really is a teachable moment for kids, right? Maybe if they didn't eat so well for their breakfast, they learn with hunger that they might need to eat a little bit more at a certain meal. Um, so we can, we can let our kids be a little bit hungry. We're not talking about letting them be hungry all day, but hunger can be a good teacher as well. Yeah. Do you think that this whole idea that we need to pack snacks everywhere we go has come from the belief that we just have to satisfy our kids at every moment or where does, where do you think it comes from? (laughs) I don't know, but, um, I think, you know, the decisions we make about how we feed our kids are really rooted in good parenting. Right. And so one of the things that Melanie Potok and I set out to do when we wrote, wrote raising healthy, happy eater is to bring parenting into the conversation, right? So we have these parenting principles. um, And in the book, we have little passport stamps. They're passport style stamps that stamp a parenting principle into a segment or a chapter. So, um, you know, we, we need as parents to be able to be patient. So that's one of our parenting stamps um, and to be proactive. And, you know, we also need to learn sometimes to say no or to let, let children wait their turn. And, um, and that's good parenting. We can't always say yes and give into a child's needs. That's not really raising a great eater nor a great person, right? So the parenting principles are really meant to be applied to food training, but also just to parenting in general. Okay, great. So we talked a little bit about why we really should be raising kids to feel hunger. Um, are there other reasons why we should, you know, teach them how to feel hunger and also recognize hunger and satiety cues, which is really hard to do, right? When kids are small, how do you tell a toddler <laughs> how yeah. to recognize their their hunger and satiety cues? Yeah. So, you know, we're not talking about many, many, many hours. We're talking about, you know, an hour, right? So Uh again, a lot of times they're just, they're not hungry. They may be frustrated. They may be bored. Um, And so what we're teaching them is you don't have to eat in reaction to all of the emotions. We really only need to eat when we're hungry, right? 
Um, and if you let those one or two hours pass, then a child will be hungry and it is appropriate to eat. But if they just had their breakfast and five minutes later, they're having a meltdown, then the fruit snacks is not really the answer, is it? Right. Yeah. See, I see, I see myself going the other way often and will, my daughter will say, I'm hungry and I'll say, no, you're not. Do you think that's bad to say that to a child? <laughs> well, I mean, kids are very good up to about the age of three or four. They are really good at knowing when they're hungry and when they need to eat. Yeah. But the caveat is that we're presenting healthy foods, right? That aren't designed to be overeaten, <laughs> right? Right. So sometimes when a kid says I'm hungry and they want to eat, it's just that they want that delicious fix. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it goes back to the old saying, if you're not hungry enough to eat an apple, then you're probably not hungry. Right. Yeah. So I think there is a little bit of teasing out really what is hungry and what is something else, another emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's take a break, Dr. Fernando. With the kids at home a lot more these days, there may be more time to have dinner together, but finding the time to plan healthy and delicious meals is still a challenge. A few months ago, I tried the dinner daily and getting dinner on the table every night became a whole lot easier. The dinner daily isn't a meal kit, but a weekly personalized dinner planning service that sends you meal plans and an organized grocery shopping list based on your food preferences and dietary needs. And it's the only service that uses your grocery store's weekly specials to help you save money. What I love most about the Dinner Daily are the recipes, most of which take only 30 minutes to make, and they're so easy, healthy, and delicious. My kids love their taco salad, garlic steak with feta cheese, and the carrot and parsnip mash. Not only can the Dinner Daily save you money, but you can try it free for two weeks And right now you can get 15% off with the code HEALTH15. Just go to thedinnerdaily.com and use the code HEALTH15. And now let's get back to this week's episode of Food Issues. Great. So in our last segment, we were talking about this idea that we are snacking all day, we're giving our kids snacks all day, and how to really kind of give them some time to understand that, you know, look at whether they're hungry or or they're just bored or they're trying to deal with another emotion. And so, you know, parents can have an obsession with food too and a focus on what's healthy and what's not, right? I know a lot of um, my friends and I are, are consumed sometimes with is gluten bad? Is dairy bad? And (laughs) it has to be all organic. And, you know, we feel guilty almost. And um, so, you know, can this obsession with food and a focus on what's healthy and what's not and on nutrition alone lead to kids then feeling deprived and having an increased risk for disordered eating when we place all this focus on nutrition? I mean, I think potentially, and I do sometimes see that where families will present to my office and they're very, very focused on food. And I do get worried too when families focus on weight. Um, And that's something I really try hard as a pediatrician not to focus on. Um, I want to teach kids what foods are delicious and good for their bodies and make them feel good. So helping them see this connection between the foods that they're eating and how they feel and how they're able to do the things that they love to do. 
not just on, you know, how many bites of broccoli and was that, you know, did you get enough kind of a thing? So I think if we can sort of paint with a broad, joyful brush around mealtime, you know, and not get too focused on how many bites and, you know, are we getting enough nutrition for this one meal? You know, kids are learning and they may have a day where all they want to eat is blueberries. And, <laughs> and, and that's okay. You know, and maybe the next day, all they'll want to eat is uh, something else. But if we can just take a step back and this is, this goes back to one of the parenting principles that we write about in raising a healthy, happy eater, parenting mindfully, right? So we want to make mealtime a time of mindful connection, right? So it's not about how many bites you're eating of which foods and are you eating too many of this and too much of that. We present the food in the proportions we think the child should eat and we let conversation happen and we enjoy that time and that space. And even better, we enjoy the food preparation together, right? So we always say that the meal starts when you start cooking and so much conversation and connection can happen in that time where you're making healthy foods um, for that meal or snack. And a lot of good tasting happens during that time too, right? So kids aren't so um, feeling so pressured to try that bite of, you know, spinach casserole or whatever it may be. If we're casually eating, you know, cooking together, maybe we sneak in a few little tasting bites. And, um, and so I think if we can think about that mindful connection around mealtime it really, I think the nutrition follows, right? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of parents getting very stressed out and that stress can really cause a vicious cycle of disordered eating if we don't, you know, take a step back. Um, so, you know, Melanie Potok, my co-author will always, you know, say if a family is experiencing a lot of stress around eating, then, you know, maybe need help. And so a pediatrician might be a good first stopping point to find out, you know, do I really need to be stressed? And here's what my child is eating. Um, because maybe they're eating just great. And, um, and the family is just overly concerned for whatever reason. Um, maybe they really do have a feeding issue. So there are a lot of kids who are struggling with feeding disorders. Some of those can be rooted in anxiety or can be tangled up with anxious feelings. And so those kids really could benefit from a specialized feeding therapist, either an occupational therapist or a um, speech language pathologist like Melanie, who has a specialized training in helping kids with, um, with particular feeding challenges. Okay, excellent. And so can kids become obsessed with food too? And, and if so, what are the reasons this could happen? Well, I think uh, kids take cues from their parents, uh-huh. you know, and, um, And so it may be that the parents were particularly stressed and anxious about food and they've kind of taken on that energy. But, you know, every kid has a different personality, too. So some kids may be more prone, especially if they have a more anxious personality. Maybe they're just more prone to worry about food. And I think it's important to recognize that early and try to reestablish a healthy connection with food. Food is a beautiful thing. We need to enjoy it. And try not to feel too stressed about it. And especially as a kid, they have a lot of other things to worry about. And what are the signs that your kid might be obsessed with food? Well, um, you know, one of the things that I often look at to make sure that kids are 
getting enough food or not getting too much food is their growth curve. So if you have a child who's particularly obsessed with food and they're losing weight rapidly or gaining weight rapidly, that could be an indication. If, you know, it's getting in the way of them enjoying other things in their life that they typically enjoy, um, that is also another sign that maybe they need a little bit more help. Okay. And they should talk to their pediatrician about it first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So getting back to this food everywhere we go, literally every, I would say everywhere a child goes, (laughs) what are some practical tips for parents to raise healthy eaters as they try to battle this? Um, You know, I would think of it not as a battle, okay, but, you know, all of these, all of these moments where food is presented are teachable moments. So Going back to again to parenting principles, consistency I think is really important. Um, it's very easy in a weak moment to say yes, but when we are raising children and we're establishing habits, we really do need to be consistent. So um, I have growing up grown teenage boys, um, and they'll tell you for so many years if we would be in a store where there were treats at eye level, you know, in the fabric store, like the (laughs) sports store, like getting a camping gear, you know, and there's like the candy. Um, I just had a mantra, like we don't buy these treats in stores. Okay. You know, and, um, and then when you develop that mantra and you draw that line, you don't go back on it because it's very confusing to children when they're learning, um, that, you know, we don't say, well, sometimes you can have it and sometimes you can't. And that's not to say my children never had candy, but that was my thing about being in stores, Mm -hmm. right? Where it was there. Now there might be other occasions where I would say, hey, let's enjoy a sweet treat. But they knew because it was so pervasive, I didn't want to deal with the constant annoyance of having to buy a snack every time we were in a store. Right. So that was the line that I drew. And, um, it worked. I mean, they stopped asking after a while. And, you know, you can bend the rules later when they're older and they understand healthy eating and proportion and when we eat those kinds of snacks and they're grown. Um, but when you're establishing a rule, it's so important to be consistent. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, pre-COVID, I used to take my kids to the dry cleaners to pick up my husband's dry cleaning. And every time we went in there, there was a bowl of lollipops. And every time there was a question, can we have a lollipop? And sometimes I I did. Sometimes I let them have it. But I mean, really, it's like everywhere you go, there's an opportunity for food or a tree and it, it just can get out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important to be consistent. Maybe at the growth, at the dry cleaners, that's the special place you get the lollipop. But we know when we're in other places, we don't. I think kids just need to be presented with consistent messaging. So they're not confused. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Dr. Fernando, thank you so much for your time today. Can you tell me where listeners can go to learn more about these food issues and learn more about you? Yeah. So um, the Dr. Young Project, as I said, is the nonprofit organization that we started here in Virginia in 2013. Um, Because of COVID, we have a lot of programs that are now available virtually. So if you wanted to cook with us, um, if you wanted to learn to use our meal matic which is this great customized recipe tool that helps families customize meals, especially in the pandemic when we don't have access to all the things we used to, it's nice to be able to create a meal on the fly. So we teach that. 
We have a great new preschool home edition. So we have had this preschool curriculum in schools all over the country, and now we have a food adventure home edition. So if families want to use our research-based curriculum at home to teach their little ones how to prepare and enjoy good food, um, all of that is available on the Dr. Yum website. Not to mention we have a bunch of recipes. We have a meal planner. We have all kinds of things trying to make food easier. During the pandemic, we realized, gosh, people are cooking more than they ever had. I guess this is our moment. So um, so we have made a lot more things available, free resources available on our website, and it's dryum.org. Great. And we'll link to that in the show notes and also to your book with Melanie Potok. Uh, again, Dr. Fernando, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you love that conversation with Dr. Namali Fernando as much as I did. And I hope that you walked away with some really practical insight for feeding your kids. I also want to thank our sponsor, The Dinner Daily, and remind you to head on over to thedinnerdaily.com and use code HEALTH15 to get 15% off. I'm Julie Revelon, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. Make sure you subscribe so you won't miss any of the episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you could please take a second and leave a review and a rating. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.